Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. On the dark side of epic exclusivity, or don't publish those emails. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we've got hopefully a brief episode of Virtual Legality for you. It came across my attention. Someone sent me a message on social media over the weekend that once again in the land of epic exclusivity, we've got another data point. In this case, someone, a specific developer who has been developing a Steam game, came out and actually put together a Medium article about why they didn't accept Epic exclusivity and in fact declined Epic exclusivity. And we're going to take a look at that article. I wanted to first give a hat tip to Dijon, D-E-J-A-N, on my Twitter uh, for sending me this article. I always like to get feedback from folks that listen to and watch Virtual Legality uh, and can give me this kind of information because I like to talk about these things. But that being said, I really wanted to dive into the article that this particular developer put together because I do find it interesting. I'm not sure that I would necessarily agree with the logic that goes behind this particular decision, but it's their logic to have. And what I really want to talk about is both their messaging in this commentary, in this Medium article, and also a little bit of what not to do, which you probably caught from the title of this video, uh, just from a legal perspective and from a business perspective as well. So let's take a look at the actual article, which went up over the weekend a couple days ago. Why I turned down exclusivity deal from the Epic Store by the developer of Dark, which is Unfold Games, who says, I had no intention of turning this into a newsworthy story, but seeing new articles coming out every day, quoting what I said on Reddit, it seems that the news is very much out there. I thought I'd give you a bit more insight into what actually happened so my words aren't quoted out of context. And in deference to this article, which I will link in the description to this video, I don't want to just simply read for you everything that this developer said. But suffice it to say, they're a small indie developer. They say they're mostly solo. They contracted out for a number of the resources that went into the game, which is a lot of what you see in the indie space. I get a lot of calls and a lot of emails from folks that are looking to break into the industry or doing it as a kind of side hustle with respect to something else that they're otherwise doing, whether they're in uh, real software in terms of industry, uh, serious software, banking software, what have you, and are making a video game in their twilight hours uh, or doing something else that call me and say, hey, how do I get this together? How do I organize this? What is the legal ramifications of doing this without an entity? What should a contract with an independent contractor look like? So these are the kinds of developers that I'm dealing with on a regular basis. And certainly what you see here in this article is someone who is very passionate, very invested in the game that they've created, as you would expect for someone who has essentially thrown their blood, sweat, tears, and probably no small amount of money into making this game happen. And they comment here, they say they're on the top 50 most wish-listed games on Steam. They've had some success marketing what they're putting together here in this game called Dark. And they say on July 27th, which is only a couple weeks ago, they uploaded a new trailer announcing their Steam launch date. 
And that's an important kind of milestone for the game. They actually are committing to a launch date, a date when the game will be available. A couple days after that trailer goes up, they get contacted by the Epic Store proposing that I enter into an exclusivity agreement with them instead of releasing Dark on Steam. They made it clear that releasing Dark non-exclusively is not an option. I rejected their offer because we had a chance, before we had a chance, to talk about the money. And then he goes into his explanation uh, about why they rejected the offer. We're going to talk about that uh, in just a second. But one thing I want to point out here is that the summary of what happened, which is that they were contacted a couple days after they put up their launch date, and they asked for exclusivity. They weren't interested in any other relationship besides exclusivity, and they didn't get a chance to talk about money because they rejected the offer before anything really happened because they weren't willing to go exclusively on the Epic Game Store. That's a good summary of what happened. You don't need extra information. You don't need what we're going to see later on in this article to establish that that was, in fact, what happened. You see here in the brackets to this section, I will share a screenshot of this communication below. I hope the Epic Store won't mind since the exchange was polite and professional, and I was not asked to keep it confidential. Now, that's really one of the things I want to talk about because... One of the things that happens when you're in potential business transactions, when you're in negotiations with a prospective partner, is that you want to have a certain level of confidence that you can share sensitive information, possibilities for what a business relationship might look like in the future without it being published on Reddit or Medium or anywhere else. Uh, So while I think this summary is fine, you can summarize what someone has offered to you, what kind of discussions you've had. You can even kind of put your own spin on how you feel the tone of their messaging was conveyed. When you start taking screenshots of emails, when you start publishing what are inherently private, if not entirely non-disclosable confidential communications between you and a prospective business partner, we'll, we'll talk about the law in a second, but just from a business perspective, you make it much less likely that someone is going to be willing to enter into those kinds of discussions with you in the future. Regardless of that's exclusivity, regardless of whether you hate Tim Sweeney and you hate Epic Games and you hate anything associated with EGS, that's all well and good. My recommendation for folks that ask me questions about these things all the time, whether they're clients or whether they're people that are prospective clients of mine, is that you always want to be thinking about how something could be perceived. And I don't think Epic necessarily cares that you decline their exclusivity. I don't even think they're necessarily going to make a lot of trouble for you for the fact that you published their emails. But in the back of your mind, you should be thinking of the fact that the next person that could potentially offer me something, whether that's a publisher, whether that's a financing source, whether that's a prospective public relations firm or media partner, whatever that might be, you're going to have out there that when you didn't like the way something went or to explain yourself to the internet at large, you took that email from them regardless of whether it had a confidentiality disclaimer on the bottom of it, which is probably ineffectual in any event, and you published it, even though the summary did the job just fine. And I'm not saying that there's any ill will here. I'm not saying that there's any nefarious intent on the developer's part, but I think it's important for people to consider these things because it's always important to be thinking about your next step. It's always important to be thinking about what you do and how it will be perceived in the future. And while Epic might not have thought that They needed to say that this was a confidential communication. And while they might not have any desire to make hay about this being published in particular, the next person that goes and looks up your name uh, for potentially entering into a business partnership of some kind with you will find this article, will see that you published that email, 
And at bare minimum, they'll be more inclined to work with you over the phone than they will by text message or email, which might be fine, but it can also be more cumbersome. And so I think it's just important to kind of talk that out uh, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty here, which is kind of half the video as well. So they say why they rejected the offer. Before they get into this, they'd like to emphasize that they are not speaking on behalf of other developers. Every indie studio has a unique story and has to deal with a unique set of obstacles. The following reasons are mine and mine only. Rejecting such offer happened to be right for my game, but not may, might not be right for other games as their goals and long-term plans might differ from mine, which is a great disclaimer, which is exactly the right thing to say from a kind of tonal and messaging perspective. Hey, this is my decision to make. It's my game. I've put all my blood, sweat, and tears into it. This makes sense to me right now. And I'm not going to say whether it makes sense for the Ooblets folks. I'm not going to say whether it makes sense for the Rebel Galaxy Outlaw folks. I, I didn't want it, uh, and that's my decision, and I'm not trying to make a grander political statement. Now, you can question the efficacy of that or even the sincerity of that when you go out of your way to kind of post on Reddit and to make articles on Medium like this. And I will say, if you're looking at things solely through a cynical prism, which, you know, lawyers never do, right, then you, w you might say, hey, this actually is pretty good marketing. Really, anything related to Epic Games uh, is good marketing at this point, whether you're accepting, whether you're rejecting, whether you're making big controversial statements like Ooblets, whether you're doing it quietly like some of the others. If you say, hey, I'm going to be involved with Epic or I'm specifically shunning them and casting them aside, that tends to get some amount of eyeballs on your studio, on your project, and on your game just because of how hot this topic is in 2019. This is not the first virtual legality episode on the Epic Game Store. We did an episode on Ooblets and their commentary not three weeks ago. So this is a constant drumbeat of marketing potential. And so I think they were wise to do this if that was their intent. They disclaimed that. They say it definitely was their, not their intent. They didn't want to be newsworthy on this. But if they were, it's not the worst idea in the world. So their actual reasoning, they say, hey, I like money. But I had just announced that Steam release date, and I felt that if I had just announced a Steam release date and then I immediately turned around and went back on it, then that would be bad. That people would essentially question my word, uh, my sincerity, and that would look bad for me as a, a kind of a business person. Uh, and that's really the first couple bullets here. They say a lot of Steam users had me on, on their wish list, and if I want to make my users happy... I can't just take away from where I said I was going to sell something and just move it to a different site because those Steam users would be unhappy. He compares it to Amazon in a kind of weird uh, metaphor or, or analogy to what he's doing. Uh, but he's basically saying, hey, I want to put this game up on Steam. I then said I was going to put this game up on Steam. It was only after I said it was going to go up on Steam on a certain date that Epic contacted me. And by doing that, if I actually went back on that, I think... This is his opinion, and different people can differ on their opinions of whether or not this would happen. I think that more people would dislike me than like me, and I don't think that the money would make sense uh, for the, the amount of vitriol that I would potentially get. Now, he's estimating that. I don't know whether that's going to be, in fact, the case or not. I said at the top of this video and podcast, I might not make this same decision, and you can see a, a lot of other studios not making the same decision because I think that bucket of money is important for a studio, is important for a game developer that wants to do the next thing, that wants to make this current project lucrative to make sense, to get some kind of return on investment. And it is a question about exactly how much the Steam wish list is going to convert into dollars for you, what that's going to look like against the Epic dollars. I would actually be very interested 
had he gone forward and gotten a minimum guarantee kind of concept from Epic and seen exactly what kind of number he could have been guaranteed from a relationship like that, whether or not in the long run after declining that relationship, he would have gotten the same amount of money from Steam, uh, uh, from Steam sales, from GOG sales uh, through into, into his coffers. And that's that's always an open question. You can't live out in an alternative universe version of your business decisions. And that's always one of the kind of interesting things to consider is the what ifs and, and what would it have looked like uh, in a different way. Uh, but I think had he said here, hey, I think this was going to offend Steam people too much. And I think it's important to have those greater amount of eyeballs from Steam on my game than it is on Epic. And I want to essentially have a high growth pattern. I think that probably makes more sense to me as a business person, as a business lawyer to say, hey, yes, you can guarantee me this small amount of money because that's realistically all I think I can earn right now. But if I can get in the good graces of Steam and their user base and can potentially market the second game at an even higher level, then that's more important to me than getting this small short-term guaranteed profit right now. To me, as an, a kind of an economics guy, a business guy, and a lawyer, that's more compelling to me. But certainly, just saying that the, the Steam folks would be angry uh, is a perfectly reasonable uh, assumption to make. The question is whether or not that would actually affect your bottom line. And I have my doubts there, especially since so many companies are going over. And if you do it silently, if you do it essentially undercover of the Ooblets folks and everybody else that's making kind of more hay about it, I don't know that a lot of people uh, would necessarily hold it against you. I'm not sure about that either. And again, we're all essentially guessing on how a somewhat amorphous, somewhat temperamental kind of mob uh, is uh, viewing the Epic Game Store, is viewing Steam uh, losses to exclusivity on the Epic Game Store. And certainly that's what the Ooblets folks were responding to is don't hate us because we're doing this. It makes sense for us as a company. And he, you see here he comments on Ooblets a little bit. Uh, then he winds up essentially justifying why he put this out here on Medium at all, that he was added in a commentary to Tim Sweeney on Twitter. And then we get to the crux of why I wanted to make this video today, which is we've got here, he puts the images up of emails that he received from Epic in order to decide whether or not he was going to uh, publish his game on Epic exclusive, uh, exclusively. And so you see here, they've got the email. Thanks for getting back to us. To be clear, and since we are pressed for time, we'd be interested in bringing the game exclusive to the Epic Store. We aren't in a position yet to open the store up to games that SimShip, which I think is shorthand for simultaneously ship uh, on multiple stores. And then he essentially says, I am not interested. They, they further kind of establish that they do negotiate minimum guarantees that are then uh, recouped against uh, which is what we expected from what Ooblets described as part of the Epic uh, kind of relationship, which, as I mentioned in that video, essentially means they get a guaranteed amount of money. Sometimes that'll be paid up front. Sometimes that'll be paid essentially after the fact. Uh, and in, in this case, it looks like they pay you a certain amount of money up front, and then they essentially recoup what they would have paid you as part of your uh, percentage in sales on the Epic Game Store, they pay that to themselves until they get that amount of money back. So it's essentially an advance and a guarantee of a minimum. And then if you pass that, presumably the relationship goes back to normal, which is 8812 uh, in the Epic Game Store. Uh, but he says he wasn't interested. He then publishes the emails and that's all well and good. I think it's interesting to have out there. I think it's always useful to have more information about these relationships that are happening. And I certainly enjoyed getting that context from Ooblets. This is backed up here from Dark, so we see exactly how Epic's 
operating. They're going and they're locating things that are popular on Steam or otherwise have some kind of marketing traction. Generally speaking, pretty close to when their release date is announced. For indie games, that's understandable because you just never know whether the project is going to finish. So Epic is essentially waiting until they get some kind of milestone notice that this thing is actually going to get done. In this case, it was a release date trailer. And then they're offering minimum guarantees to these indies, which is going to be very attractive to a lot of them. Because otherwise, it's a complete crapshoot about whether your game is going to be Stardew Valley or whether it's going to be one of a thousand that gets lost in the weeds on GOG or Steam or where have you. So the Epic offer is attractive. And certainly, this company is fully welcome to make the decision that they made, but you can understand why other companies are making the decision that they did. In terms of publishing emails, so one thing I want to get out of the uh, get out of the way is that you might see if you're in business or if you're in law a number of emails that have disclaimers on the bottom of them that say essentially this is attorney-client privileged or this is intended only for its recipient and any other use is, is prohibited. That's all well and good. Those probably aren't enforceable in most instances. I don't think that many courts, if any, have really kind of taken up the issue of whether a, a disclaimer on the bottom of an email will control the confidentiality of that email, especially for purposes of like lawsuits and things like that. Here, this is a little bit different. You're taking an email that was sent to you in the hopes of negotiating a business transaction. You are taking it entirely with the minor exception of kind of removing some of the personal information. You're taking it entirely and you're publishing it on your blog or on your website or in your newspaper in order to comment on it and what it is that you did in response to it. And there's been a long time held kind of uh, legal axiom that says you can't take a letter that is sent to you. This is a paper letter, not an email letter, and you can't publish it in the newspaper. And the reason you can't uh, is, as we've talked about in virtual legality a, a number of times before, it's not yours to copy. In other words, mail is the copyright of the author. So similarly, email is generally thought to be the copyright of the author of that email. So I've pulled up a blog from a couple years back. I think this is actually said as 2011. I'm not going to read all of this. I will link it in the description. But I found it useful to just kind of discussing the concepts here. Then number one, this says, if I send you a letter, unless I have an agreement with you to the contrary, I continue to own the copyright. As the recipient of the letter, you own the letter itself. Now, this is one thing we've talked about, about video games in virtual legality, right? You own the disc. You own the manual, you own that instance of what it is that we're talking about, but you don't own the underlying code. You've licensed the code for your use. Similarly, as the recipient of the letter, you own the letter itself, the paper and ink. You can show the letter to others, you can sell it, give it to a friend, donate it to a library, preserve it or destroy it. Or to put it a more lawyerly way, absent an express writing to the contrary, transfer of ownership of the tangible physical property of the letter from me to you does not carry with it the transfer of the copyright. In other words, we've talked about that bundle of rights that's associated with what is actually depicted in the code on that letter. In this case, as we talk about this Medium article, in that email, and what was actually in that email is copyrighted by the author. Not probably the individual who was operating on the behalf of Epic, but actually Epic Games itself is probably the author of that email for purposes of copyright law. And when you get that email, if you want to publish the entire thing, you've got a problem because now you are infringing on their right to control copies of the material that they've created. As we see in number three, as the recipient of the letter, you cannot, however, publish the entirety of the letter without my consent. 
except for another possible limited exception, which is going to be fair use, which we'll chat about in a second. The reproduction right remains with me as the copyright owner, as does the right to create a derivative work. You and others can, however, quote portions of the letter I sent you to the extent permitted by fair use. As we've talked about in respect of fair use, you can take small portions of things. You can transform them. You can comment on them. Just like we comment on things in virtual legality. We comment on Medium articles. We comment on this blog post. You can comment on things, but you can't necessarily take the whole thing and republish it and just do with it what you like. That is a right that is held by the copyright holder. And that's where you really come into a kind of legal issue if you if you wind up doing that. They've got a bunch of quotes here from a bunch of different legal sources. They've got a, a lot of interesting kind of background material here. But the takeaway is you don't necessarily think of it like this. I know that I really don't. And I'm involved in copyright and intellectual property licenses and software and email all the time that this is something that was created. It's an act of creativity by the other party. And they've sent it to you for commentary for the purpose of discussing a potential business transaction. And by your taking it and publishing it and putting it on the equivalent of the modern day newspaper, you've technically breached their copyright. You've made a reproduction of what they've created. You've created a, a derivative work by commenting on it and incorporating it into another work like your article. And while the summary was fine, the summary established exactly what you showed in those emails. By actually publishing the email, you've potentially tripped up some legal issues. Now, as I said at the top of this video, as I said elsewhere in this podcast, I don't think Epic is going to make an example out of this person. I don't think it is likely that they're going to cause trouble for this person. I think in all honesty, it's more of an issue of business practicality than legal, that you don't want to be known as the developer that takes potential business transactional information and publishes it on the internet for all to see. I think that's a far bigger issue than the legal one. But as soon as I saw this article as a lawyer, what jumped out at me is don't publish emails, comment on them. Absolutely. Write forum posts on Reddit or NeoGAF or Reset Era or wherever it is you're talking about these things, talking about the concepts of what Epic Games is doing. Watch virtual legality or share it around. Absolutely. Share it, please. But don't Take what was given to you, not in confidence, but as part of a private conversation and publish it on the equivalent of the Internet's New York Times. Because if there is somebody that wants to make trouble for you, if they decide to turn around and say, hey, we're going to make an example of this person, you don't want to be fighting a fair use complaint. You don't want to be trying to use fair use as a defense for what is, by all intents and purposes, an absolute violation of copyright law that you need to then defend after a long and arduous litigation process against a company like Epic Games, which is clearly throwing money around and has money to burn on lawyers and making an example of you if they chose to do so. Obviously, they wanted to partner with you. They're not inclined to be on the bad side of developers that they are going to want to partner with in the future. So like most things in virtual legality, the business practicalities will govern a lot of what we're talking about here. And Epic is very unlikely to make an example of this person. But if I can give any kind of advice, which isn't legal advice, obviously, because this is informational and educational only, don't publish the emails. Summarize, quote, use small sections, but don't publish the entirety because even something small like that gives the other party some amount of leverage over you. And you don't want to be in a position to get a cease and desist letter or something else, a much more angry letter from a counsel or attorneys 
of a company that you've already decided not to partner with and might feel jilted by that decision alone, you don't want to give them leverage to make your life hell if you can avoid it. So that's my non-advice but educational informational discussion points about publishing of emails, about this continuing topic of the Epic Game Store and what it means to accept, what it means to reject, uh, and what we're going to be following definitely throughout the rest of 2019, probably into 2020, uh, on how Epic Game Store is perceived by gamers in general, by the game development community, and now by folks that watch and listen to things like virtual legality. That's been our episode for today. If you like this, please like, please subscribe. We talk about these kinds of things all the time. Please share it around. I can't get to everywhere on the internet, so if you can share it to anybody that you think might be interested, I would appreciate that as well. Thank you for watching if you watch it on YouTube. Thank you for listening if you listen to it on a podcast service. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.